Welcome to the Conversations with Jesus podcast. I'm Johnny Lehman, a baptized man of God who has the amazing blessings of being a husband, father, and the pastor at Divine Savior Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. This podcast is designed to bring you the self-sacrificing love of Jesus found in the Bible through 15 to 20 minute episodes that focus on relevant life issues and what God has to say about them. Check out our website, DivineSaviorChurch.com, as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages if you would like to find out more about the incredible things that God is doing through our church family. We spent the last four weeks looking at the source of wisdom and the principles of its design for our lives. So now our series is going to shift. We're going to apply those principles that we've learned from the book of Proverbs to the everyday complexities of life. And this week's focus is anger. Is anger a good thing or a bad thing? Where does anger come from? What does it have the power to do and how can it be overcome? So as we go into Proverbs this week, we're going to learn what Proverbs has to say while pursuing the path of wisdom in regard to anger. Here are the Proverbs on anger that we'll be discussing in this week's podcast. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them, and you will have to do it again. Do not testify against your neighbor without cause. Would you use your lips to mislead? Do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. This is God's word. It's safe to say our society is angry. In fact, some sociologists have noted that we live in the quote-unquote age of outrage. Have you noticed that too? If it wasn't so destructive, it's almost comical how quickly people lose their lids today. And just to illustrate that, a couple of months ago, I was waiting at the intersection on Pike Road, just a little bit down from church, ready to turn left on the turnpike. Now, the light had just turned green, and I happened to be taking a drink of water right before it turned. And so I tried to quickly put my water bottle in the cup holder and go, but I wasn't fast enough. And the trucker behind me, he lowers his window and he starts screaming a chain of profanities one after the other. It's almost like poetry in a way. And he purposefully passed me on the turnpike to give me a certain one finger salute. I thought to myself, what is going on in his life that's causing him to get angry over a half second delay at a stoplight? Anger is seriously everywhere. We see it in political debates. We see it in the House of Representatives. We see it in grocery store checkout lines. We see it in our living rooms. We see it exploding online. 
why are we so prone to outrage? James Averill wanted to find an answer to that. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Massachusetts, and he did this extensive research study on anger. And as he discussed his findings in the American Psychologist, he said, anger is one of the densest forms of communication. It conveys more information more quickly than almost any other type of emotion. In other words, why are we so prone to outrage? It's because anger is powerful. And in and of itself, anger is not sin according to the Bible. Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say, when you're angry, you sin. But it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So the real question is, well, maybe before we get to that, the real question isn't, is anger good or bad? The real question is, what are you doing with your anger? And this is where God's wisdom comes in. How does God's grace give us competency in how we handle our anger? Well, for starters, anger tends to get a bad rep. We tend to think that we should avoid anger or never feel angry, but that's simply not what God's word says. In fact, God himself gets angry. Look at how he describes himself to Moses in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Notice. He's not the God of no anger, nor the God of exploding anger, but the God who is slow to anger, but it's still anger nonetheless. This anger, though, is connected to his compassion and love. Notice in this verse, it's literally wedged in between the two. Compassion and gracious God on one side, abounding in love and faithfulness on the other, and there, right in the center, slow to anger. In other words, love and anger go hand in hand as much as they may seem like opposites. But think about it, if you truly love someone or something, you can't help but get angry when that thing or person is threatened. You can't help but get defensive. If you see a child getting bullied, especially if she's your own, you're likely to experience anger. Why? Because you love your child. And so it naturally will upset you to see the pain she's in. Anger against evil, Anger against the effects of sin and anger against the pain we experience in this world shows our love and it motivates us to do something about it. The hard part for us is because of our sin, we often channel that emotion of anger in a way that doesn't lead to peace, but to conflict. Look at Proverbs 15 verse 18. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. The problem we have is not our anger, it's what we do with it. I was talking to one of our members last week who shared with me how our landlord went off on her. And she said very wisely, there is nothing I could say to diffuse, so I just listened. We've all been on the receiving end of someone's amygdala going off, or we've been the one to drop exploding bombs of anger on others. Why are we so prone to exploding anger? Because sin has corrupted our natural impulse to defend passionately what we love most. Think about a time this last week when you experienced even a small amount of anger and rage. What was upsetting you? What I found in myself is what angered me most, at least last week, was feeling out of control and helpless. Which then led me to ask the question, this is a really good diagnostic question to ask yourself when you feel angry. 
What am I defending? Because remember, your anger reveals to you what you love most. And often, as we talked about a few weeks ago, our loves get disordered. And I realized, okay, why am I getting so angry? What am I defending? I realized I was defending my pride. I don't like to admit that I can't fix something or give, my, or give the best help to someone or make a mistake or need a break. I was defending my ego. And my misguided anger not only affected others, it actually affected my entire body. I felt exhausted. I felt alone, emotionally spent, which is exactly what Proverbs 14.30 says will happen when you have misguided and exploding anger. A heart at peace gives life to the body, it says, but envy, and that word can be translated anger as well, rots the bones. My anger revealed where my heart was at, self-promotion and a desire for ease in life. It really is true that love and anger go together. Sin, death, and Satan make us angry, and they should. Watching people we love suffer should cause us to feel upset. Witnessing people facing unjust treatment, prejudice, or trauma should cause a deep emotional response. And anger, out of all the emotions, tells us more about ourselves than the rest. If we reacted to such things with indifference, we'd be sociopaths. God has called you and me to call sin, sin, and evil, evil, to be slow in anger patient, but often we can't stop ourselves from exploding. When we process our anger, we have a sinful tendency to deflect or blame, and it gets us in a whole world of trouble. That's the heart of this proverb. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. When we don't process our anger according to God's gracious wisdom, we will put our feet in our mouths, hurt the people around us, and as Proverbs 14.29 says, display folly or foolishness. You've seen it. I have too. Why do we cringe at the parents screaming at their toddler? Why is it awkward to see people yelling at each other? Because deep down, we know we're no different. We've all gotten angry and lashed out at someone else. We've all experienced rage and taken it out and you never feel better after that. But there's something even deeper here. Again, what angers you the most reveals to you what you love most. And while we don't tend to say or consciously think it, when we let our anger explode, in reality, we're angry at God. Angry that he allowed that hurt. Angry that he isn't providing what we think he should. Angry that he doesn't direct people to do what we think they should do. Angry that life is not how we think it should be. That's what sin does. It blinds our anger, misdirects it at God, to the point that when God himself became one of us, became vulnerable, killable, it's exactly what we did. We put him on the cross. So often we process our anger trying the no anger, avoidance approach, which only suppresses that anger and eventually will explode, or we do right away, the explode anger approach. We end up feeling more out of control than before. So how can we become slow to anger? Proverbs 14, 29 people, when it comes to anger, it was Proverbs says, whoever is patient, Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is patient has great understanding. It all starts with seeing how God processed his anger. For whatever reason, it's often uncomfortable for us 
to talk about God being angry. But if we don't talk about that, we really miss out on seeing a profound facet of his love. The Bible says clearly God is slow to anger, which means he has anger. What makes God angry? Sin. Why? Because sin separates you from him. In fact, God was so angry about sin, death, the forces of evil hounding us and raging us, that he entered this place of outrage. He experienced our anger because he became one of us. And Jesus shows us what God's anger revolves around. His love for you. Why did Jesus flip tables in the temple not once but twice? Because he saw something getting in between people and God. Anything that gets in the way of us being in the presence of God angers Jesus. And there's no more powerful true story that shows that than Jesus at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Now, in case you don't know the story, Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus and had gotten very sick. He ended up dying from this illness, and Jesus, he comes to comfort Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And as he sees Mary crying, the Apostle John, he tells us that Jesus was deeply moved. And then Jesus goes in front of the tomb, and again, it says he was deeply moved and troubled, and he cries. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't just cry out of grief or empathy. He cried because he was angry to the point of tears. That's the word picture in Greek behind deeply moved and troubled. Why was he so angry? Because of what sin has done to us. Sin brought death, something that never should have existed. Sin brought suffering. Sin brought loss. Sin brought separation between us and God. It angered Jesus because he loves you dearly. So how did he process his anger? You know. He absorbed all ours. He absorbed all the punishment we deserve. He absorbed the anger we've had toward him. He absorbed the mocking and hurt. He absorbed all that and nailed it to the cross, not paying us back what we deserved, but absorbing it to forgive us so that he could embrace us again. That's the beauty and power behind his gentle word on the cross, Father, forgive them. for They do not know what they are doing. Not exploding anger, but pure grace to forgive us, to heal us, and to show us his love. His love that makes you pursue him. His love that guides you and leads you through every step of your life. Knowing his love leads and motivates us to channel our anger far differently. When we reflect and live in the compassion and life-changing grace of God, when people wrong us, we remember how we wronged God and he responded not with punishment, but with gentleness. We are freed. Our ego is changed. God empowers us to control our anger and use it for the good of others, to defend the defenseless, to respond with gentleness, and to pay back people who wrong us with love. God's grace gives us the wisdom to love our enemies. Something that sounds noble and pious, but is so hard to practically live by, if we're being honest. Who do you consider your enemy? That person that makes you angry? The Democrat? The Republican? The different culture? That family member? That coworker? That neighbor? You know as well as I do that history is cluttered by the effects of misguided anger. 
communities destroyed, homes broken, violence everywhere. But for you and me, whom God is so, lo- so zealous to love and save, that he absorbed the wrath we deserved, we want to be like him. We want to love those who hate us. We want to do what Proverbs says. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5. We give our neighbors, including our enemies, things they need like food and drink. We don't withhold that. We give them the love that we want to give them. The love that Jesus says is our debt to pay to our neighbor, no matter who they are. We're motivated to love them, not so that one day they'll be nice to us or love us in return, but because, because we know God's love in Jesus. We love our enemies. We pray for them. Which, by the way, it's hard to be angry at someone you're praying for. We do all that. Why? This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. We do it for the Lord and Him alone. We do it so we can heap burning coals on our enemies. And the picture behind that is essentially we're trying to wear them down with love. We seek to love them in every way so we can win them over ultimately to Jesus. Ed Stetzer, he wrote a book called The Christian in the Age of Outrage. He says this so well. You can't hate people and engage them with the gospel at the same time. You can't war with people and show the love of Jesus. You can't be both outraged and on mission. The division and outrage all around us will not change by exploding anger and rage-filled debate. It will be changed by the peace-bringing, soul-relieving, wrong-righting grace of God. And so we overlook offenses, not letting them consume us. We forgive. And we love even those who can't stand us. Yes, even those who have hurt us. Because we know our God of love. We don't live a life of trying to fix everything that's gone wrong or a life of trying to avoid the triggers. We live for love. We get angry by what angers God. We long to be like God. And we live to bring His peace to a world raging for hope. Amen. My prayers are with you this week as you seek by God's grace to channel your anger, to communicate love. That you can be a peace bringer in a world that is in total outrage. That you and bring Jesus into the hurt of others so they can have the healing that we know that can only happen and can only come through the cross. God's richest blessings as you live for him now and always.